0: There's a story inside every smoke shop, with every cigar, and with every person. Come be a part of the cigar lifestyle at Boveda. This is Box Press. Welcome to another episode of Box Press. I'm your host, Rob Gagne, and I'm actually in the studio at Boveda headquarters with none other than Luciano Morales. Luciano, thank you for joining me.
1: Thanks for inviting me, bro. I'm, I'm very excited to be here.
0: I can't believe that I even get to sit next to you right now in a more quiet space because last night we were at a cigar event. It, there was a lot going on. You were rolling cigars, which was really cool, but this is a lot nicer for me to just kind of sit back, relax, and enjoy a co- good conversation. Yeah.
1: Like I told you before, man, I love those events, especially when we have you know chance to interact with uh, with people. But of course, you know, being here, silent, quiet, it's right. definitely something that I love too.
0: And we're smoking the Fiat Lux, which is not the car brand, but I thought it was. To be honest, I thought it was the car brand. And uh, you created this. When did you create this blend? Because I think I got exposed to it last year at PCA.
1: Yeah, the the brand was launched at PCA last year.
0: Okay, so uh, this was new to last last year. Yeah, year's.
1: it's new for our company's portfolio. It, this is probably one of the cigars that took me the longest to uh, to blend. Not not because really? it was hard. It was just like I wanted to. Uh, I had the name already in my head. I want a cigar that would truly reflect what Fiat means. You know. Uh, what it, does it mean? It means let there be light. Let so there be light. It's uh, you see that a lot into the, the you know. Uh, Genesis, the, the Bible translation uh, of Latin, uh, but also was a very common expression used during the Enlightenment. So people refer to knowledge as light, right? Okay. So that expression, fiat lux, was very common during the Enlightenment uh, period. So it's it's based on the social movement of Enlightenment. That's why the sizes of the cigars, they are the expression of human knowledge. Like you have intuitions, you actually smoke in the intuition now. There's the insights, the acumen, uh so all the sizes are named uh after you know an expression of the human knowledge
0: see these are the things i don't pick up on i just look at the size and i go Uh okay i don't know why they named it that yeah (laughs) i love that though it's like every single cigar maker has a reason for naming it and it usually coincides with the the meaning of the brand so that is super helpful for me
1: yeah i think you know uh, for me cigars they need to reflect uh, a real story so uh, I see I see many and again I, I'm not criticizing because I actually have to make cigars commission, yeah. but you yeah. know, for for other companies. but I like when uh, actually the cigar translates a real story that happened uh, right. or, or if, a, if, if it's not a, if it's a fiction uh, story which is very common in the cigar industry, it's fine. you know as long as the, your starting point was the story, and you evolve into developing the brand. I think they sound way more legitimate. they uh, they actually people empathize
0: mm-hmm. always when
1: the story is is real. It's true, you know? Yeah.
0: I, whether the story is true or not, it, just the fact that you're putting the meaning behind it. You know, yeah. you're running with a theme. It'd be very confusing if it was just like, oh, I called it Fiat Lux and then that was it.
1: Yeah, I like the name. I yeah, like right. the car. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like the car. It's
0: great. Yeah, no. Yeah. Wonderful. But you you have this vast history, not only in cigars, but then other areas of life. But it was kind of interesting. I found out from another episode, I think you went out to Texas at Industrial Cigar, and you really started with farming. Then you went to contract making, and then you launched your own brand. That's correct. Why? Why that method versus like most people can only say, hey, I'm going to launch a brand and I'm going to have... XYZ cigar, comp- mm-hmm. or cigar maker make it and then they go oh I got enough money and I might go buy some fields and then oh I got enough money I'm going to open up my own rolling facility. It's yeah. almost always that way. You went the yeah. other way.
1: I, I, was, I, was in, I was involved at a very early age into developing investment funds um, and I got specialized in private equity and when private equity wasn't as, as big as it is today. Um, developed very successful investment funds. I created the first uh, green fund in Latin America. It was back in nineteen ninety seven. You know what when... is that?
0: Just explain investment funds and what that would so, mean. So uh, yeah,
1: you. a green fund is when uh, you are basically investing allocations of shares of unit of funds in companies that are somehow related to uh, to sustainability. Uh, environmental okay. sustainability. It. Uh, it could be even oil companies. You know, uh, it could be uh, uh, research uh, companies, pharmaceutical. Uh, if you are, uh, if you, if you have actually, if you have how to demonstrate that your impact uh, as a company brings more benefit to the environment, so you become part of portfolio. Because at that time we believe that this would be the future, and I, we are seeing now, right? You know that actually companies that are environmentally sustainable, would actually be now a choice for, for the consumer. At that time, people didn't care much about it. Now okay. you see more and more, especially with the, this new, uh, the past three, four generations, really worried about uh, what's going to happen with our planet, right? So, uh, and that was very, very new. So we, we developed the first one in Latin America. And then um, I was uh, just kind of traveling like crazy, you know. I would, I would, basically, I was basically living in three different countries, I would spend a week in Switzerland, week, one week in Sao Paulo or Dominican, and then another week in Chicago with my family. So I didn't see my eldest da- daughter uh, growing. So it was basically my wife herself. And I thought that that was normal. Uh, but I realized that I was actually losing my family, making a lot of money but losing my family. So right. I, I make a decision, just making the story short. Um, this was back in 2007. I made a decision to change my lifestyle and stop doing what I was doing. I was blessed to be able to retire at a very young age. Then I uh, I met Ernesto Perez Carrillo because the Dominican Republic was one of my clients at that time. So okay. one, one of the side business of my private equity uh, business was that I always developed very good relationships with the government and some other private entities. Okay. So we would partner with Firestone, with uh, Bridgestone. Uh, and with FIFA for the, the, the world soccer, uh, uh, you know companies like Nestle and the government of uh, Dominican Republic, and uh, one of my business trips, I had a chance to meet all the cigar manufacturers in Dominican, but Ernie and I really kind of connected and uh, and that's exactly at that at that time when I made that decision, you know that I would not live that lifestyle anymore. So Ernie was a big supporter, and then Ernie was the one. Because I told him, I said, listen, I, you know, I'm a cigar smoker for many years. I have this weird disease. I can memorize flavors, and I love to blend cigars. And, and he said, well, I'm going to introduce you to a guy. I don't know him so well, but I knew his father, uh, who worked for Havana's many years. Uh, so his name is Pichardo. So he introduced me to Pichardo, and Pichardo had recently fled Cuba uh, to Brazil. Mm-hmm. And he was growing what now it's, uh, it's known as the um, Cubra wrapper which is a Cuban seed grown in Brazil Okay. and I met Pichardo and we became very good friends and a year later we, uh, we are farming tobacco and uh, 18 months later we, we created the factory in Nicaragua and some it was very organic and for me it was a non-profit business. Okay. It's not that I wanted to make a lot of money, I, I just basically wanted to help those villages in Nicaragua, help like you know poor people in Brazil and and later became a business because i realized that becoming a for-profit we could help more people we could you know empower uh, those those families in nicaragua and i created a very decentralized operation in nicaragua where i have different processing facilities all over the city and i would choose like the poorest areas uh to pressure the city hall to bring some more infrastructure sure. so that was the whole the whole concept of of investing in nicaragua then a few years later, uh, we start getting very kind of good contracts you know to make cigars for other brands for other people
0: right
1: and and that became very successful. We became known as good constructors of cigars years later uh that portfolio really grew and we we're we, we ended up making two point five million cigars a year for other people and uh, and that's where we are now i mean late years later we're talking about twelve years later you know we get with uh with with Crown Heads and we launch uh, Juarez with them. Uh, We make that cigar for them. Uh, And back in 2017, it's when uh, Miguel Shodel, I don't know if you you know him, he's a great guy, uh, basically uh, reintroduce us to Mike and John and uh, we have this amazing uh, synergy, amazing uh, conversation. And that's where Emil Diaz started to be developed. Uh, so we had some blends, and we were there actually with General because we were making cigars for them at that time. Uh, we sat, we talked, we smoked the cigar, uh, and they loved it. And it took us uh, two years to really actually work that blend to, uh, to what became the final uh um, that's out there. Uh, so yeah, I think that kind of is the short version you know, yeah, that's, your that's like, but, okay, uh, that's
0: a wrap. We're all done with boxcress. Yeah, that's in that's yeah. it. Let's go. <laughs> Let's Absolutely. talk about other things. <laughs> yeah, there's way more to you than the, the cigar. But that's, yeah. that gives everyone a great background of uh, obviously how you got started in it. Mm. But what I find so interesting is uh, you mentioned that you have a disease mm. that helps you. Uh, it helps you memorize stuff, but it's also very uh, interfering with yours just name that disease because i can't even name it
1: it's called synesthesia
0: synesthesia
1: so synesthesia is a uh, is actually a a phenomenon that happens to uh to some human beings everybody has a little bit of but i, I have a very uh uh severe synesthesia yeah,
0: you said it's like it, when you hear the the scratching on the chalkboard and you kind of get that Ugh.
1: yeah that, that's kind of what most of human beings have you know that their reaction it's a little bit what synesthesia is like you can uh, physically, actually feel pain because of certain frequencies or noises. Right? That's just a little. Wow. It's a way to kind of demonstrate what it is. But it's basically when your senses are all mixed up, like when you taste something or you smell something. Sometimes uh, there are color layers that 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 I see.
0: You see colors.
1: Or I see colors when uh, in any situation. But those yeah. colors will vary according to what, what I'm smoking, and even the topic of the conversation. If if I'm feeling comfortable, those colors will change. If there's a, a background noise or the absence of noise, they'll actually uh, change what I feel in my mouth like, in terms of taste. Uh, I don't have actually a, a, a photographic memory. I have a pretty good memory, you know, to read. Yep. But my flavor memory is is it's, it's it's very accurate, you know. But again, it sounds cool, it sounds fun, but actually uh, it's 99% of, of bad things that, that comes with the I package.
0: I was going to say, yeah. yeah. one, seeing colors, I know certain people that, like psychedelics, would love that. And, you know, <laughs> they, I think there's other people see, that... See, I don't would, need to get high to do that. Yeah, I think there's <laughs> other people that would love to be able to say that they could remember, including me, a flavor that they had. Because when I smoke cigars or have something, I'm like, oh, that was good, yeah. but I don't... I couldn't go back and be like, you know, this cigar tasted like this, Yeah, you know, so it's quite amazing, but it stinks to be suffering from it, you know, from a yeah, perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's
1: a lot of headaches, uh, <laughs> a, lot of, uh, a lot of situations where you feel extremely uncomfortable,
0: but sure. I, I learned
1: how to, to cope with it, you know, it's been since right. I remember, you know, so it's right. been years and years and years, and I remember when people had no clue what that was uh, when I was, you know, younger. And I remember just going to psychiatrists and trying all sorts of medications and things to kind of, they they would think it was some sort of like ADD or, uh, I don't know, uh, depression, whatever. So I took all sorts of medications. Nothing ever worked uh, until, you know, mother medicine, God bless, you know, they they were able to uh, figure out what I had. Uh, We ran some tests and and there was a pattern of colors that would see with certain frequencies and sounds and... So then oh. I was able to, you know, find out what I had.
0: How old were you then?
1: Oh, man, I was 30 something. So it, was, it was a life suffering interior. with that shit. 30s. Yeah. I was 30 something. Did this that was,
0: inhibit your ability to work or not?
1: Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, I think it uh certain aspects of creativity or uh, ability, again, to read the room or, 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 for human relations uh, for some reason that always i believe it's part of the package always helped right but on another hand uh it was a nightmare you know i just i just you just have to become stronger you know you have to be more right. resistant you gotta uh you have to be more resilient so those are all positive things you know i do believe that we become stronger in, in what we think is our weakest uh parts
0: absolutely yeah yeah, yeah absolutely I, th- I feel too i'm i respond emotionally and I somebody said something about you know when you're by the time you're the age four you've really learned how to deal with stuff emotionally and after that you don't really develop that emotional response to something Mm -hmm. to to a stimulus and I thought that was interesting because like I sometimes respond very emotionally to stimulus yeah and I just found that interesting so now that I have a kid I'm like what can I do to help you develop the most in this four-year yeah. window? And I don't know how much truth there is to that. But yeah. it is, like you said, anytime that there's a, something that gets in your way, you have to figure out how to deal with it. And then you have to figure out how to let that be empowering to you. Because we're all yeah. unique, right? Exactly. And so if we don't learn how to empower our traits and skills and, and gifts, yeah. uh, it's kind of a waste.
1: Yeah. So I was uh, basically raised,
0: let me get some water here.
1: Uh, I was basically raised by, by my grandparents, so when I was only two years old, hmm. um, I'm, yeah, I, uh, basically ahead, my mom yeah, my, my team mom team was team. like, uh, I don't know, she was 18 years old when she got pregnant, and my father was probably 16. Wow, so I was, I was raised with my uncle as, uh, as a brother, because my uncle was only five years different than, than I am. Uh, and, and being raised by my grandparents was a blessing, you know, that man was so wise. And he used to say, you know, whatever comes to your hands, just just do your best, you know. Because I always had that kind of, because of the synesthesia and other things, I always had that struggle to find out what, what I was actually wired for, you know. So, right. so what, what am I supposed to do with my life, you know. With all kids go through the same thing, you know, when they're teenagers. But for me, it was really terrible. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. And my grandfather would always say, you know, just kind of do your best. Whatever is in your hands, just do your best. And then I've learned to uh, understand opportunities because sometimes oh, yeah. those opportunities will be presented to you. And if, if it's in my hand, I got to do my best with it, right? Right. Uh, and I think that kind of uh, was ingrained into uh, who I became because of uh, my the, the wisdom of my grandfather. That's for sure.
0: That's awesome. Yeah yeah you i mean just being able to pick up the wisdom of whether it be a matriarch or a patriarch of the family and sounds like that was your grandfather to you yeah. um there's a lot there you know i, I think you were showing me that uh, you grabbed a bag but you had a ribbon on the back and uh-huh. you were saying you know your grandfather said what do you see here and you couldn't see the ribbon and he would say, you right. say, I see a bag. And he'd say, no, this, this is a ribbon, actually. And then he would tell you, get up from your seat and walk around and see from my eyes. Yeah. And that's the most empowering thing in life is to try to get into somebody else's frame yeah. of reference.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm far from, from, you know, being the wise man he was. But this is one thing that I think probably I don't even have the merit for. I think it was how my brain was always wired is that I, I value way more uh, knowledge than being right. Sure. You know, like in, in several situations, I see that human beings, they, they always like fight for, you know, being right. You know, right. they want they wanna, their opinions to prevail. Uh, it's kind of easy for me. For some reason, I kind of enjoy being challenged and enjoy being called to see from a different perspective. And which of course caused um, some fights and we're joking outside yeah. about my marriage because that can sound very arrogant you know the, right? if you don't, if you don't really explain what that means that means um, but if I have let's say I'm talking to my wife or my kids and and let's say we're arguing about something not arguing but uh, I have a, a point of view that I have absolute conviction right about it and and then when I'm talking to them I'm trying to see. First, what perspective they have, so where, where they're coming from. And also if I can find any truth that will make me change my mind. So that's mm-hmm. the mindset that I when I walk into a conversation, I naturally go that path. I want to know what he's seeing that I'm not seeing. Right. Because I that I I I must say might might be probably one of my, my downfalls too. I want to know everything, right? So I want to control. I want to know what's going on, what he thinks, what he thinks. And, right. you know, there's that, the bad side of it. Uh, but I want to know the truth. And the truth excites me, even if it's 100% against what my opinions are right now. Right. And if it's true, then I start getting goosebumps. I said, man, how I didn't see this. Right. How I didn't realize all this truth before,
0: right. you know?
1: So that excites me. And I know that for a lot of people, what excites them, it's to win a debate. It's yeah. to win a conversation. It's like, see, I'm right, you're not. Right. See, I know the truth, you're not. We have all this silly competition that goes on and on in every single circumstance. Even, you know, passive aggressively. Right. When you walk into like a cigar lounge, a cigar event, and I saw that happen last night a lot. Like people are arguing over a blend, oh, this is it, this is it. And then someone asked me the question, I have no idea what they're talking about. So I answer, Oh, this is actually halapa. This is actually see, I told you I was right. Yeah. You, you know, know right. in my situation, I would look at that and i say, wow, man, that's amazing. This is halapa."
0: you yeah, know I, I would have never guessed. So
1: I will get extremely excited about finding the truth. Right. Yeah.
0: Now there's, uh, so I grew up without a father as well. So I, had, I took on a little bit of what you were saying. I had to ask a lot of questions. And any of my employers will tell you, if they were going to tell you, okay, you're going to hire Rob, be ready for a lot of questions and it's not to yeah. uh, question your authority. It's not to question your, your path. It's to question, okay, I need to understand how to do know. this yeah. and how you want it done. Mm-hmm. Or I need to make sure that this is being done the right way. So I'm always asking that question of like, is this the right way? Is this, should it be going this way? Is there something else that no. I should be looking at it? Uh, I was a funeral director for a while and, One guy said a really good story. He said, uh, a guy asked the funeral director um, why he was washing the hearse. And he said, because this is carrying somebody's loved one. Mm -hmm. Not from the simple perspective of, I'm just washing the hearse. But his deeper meaning into it Mm -hmm. was that this vehicle needs to look its best because it's representing somebody's life that's very important Mm -hmm. and at that stuck with me from like the beginning i was like okay this is a different way of thinking about what you do and how you do it that i need to adapt into my life so i think that's why i ask so many questions
1: yeah that's what makes you a good interviewer too
0: well i guess i guess i don't know
1: yeah but you know people who are always seeking knowledge they ask questions and that's how it should be you know People would spend more time asking questions and try to answer all of them. They'll be right much happier.
0: When you when you met Pachardo, hmm. who was the gentleman that had fled Cuba and was growing some tobacco, um, and is obviously the name of a cigar line that you mm-hmm. guys create. Um, what type of mentorship? did he give you that made you say, cause I think everyone in the cigar business has it. They have some sort of mentor oh, yeah. that's further down the line of them. And there's, I don't think there's one greatest of all. And, you know, I think all mentors are important, but there's that connection, that synergy that you talked about. What led you to draw into the synergy of Picciardo?
1: So I, I must say I, I probably have, um, I had three mentors that I believe uh, helped formed uh, who I am today. You know, and the knowledge I have on on uh, tobacco and cigars. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one, of course, was Ernesto because Ernesto uh, was this amazing, successful, and for me one of the best blenders in the world. And but he, uh, Ernesto told me the business side of everything. So I remember walking to his office. And the first thing he says is, so, you know, you know, the, the old joke, like how how you make a million dollars in a cigar starts with two million, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he'll come to me and said, if you're looking to make money in this industry, just go do something else. Because, you know, it's, it's not about it.
0: Why do they all say that?
1: Because it's true. Uh, it's true. Uh, I mean, especially on the manufacturing side. Uh, and that's what people sometimes they oversee. You know, a lot of people like to talk about passion. Right. Uh, but real, real passion, it's for people who... Truly, do what they do not because they are interested into the end of, of making money. You know, uh, in any aspect of life, not just right. in cigars, right? Uh, and second, because I think on the manufacturing is where we make least money, uh, people don't know this. But the the in the whole uh, vertical uh, segment of premium cigars, uh, you make way more money by selling a brand than anything else, and by actually growing tobacco. Those are the two uh, p- p- probably the two extremes of the of the of the uh, c- uh, premium cigar so which production. One,
0: which one's less and which one's more? So growing tobacco is less? No,
1: those two are the ones that you make more, more the most. money. The Okay, most. so growing it. So growing growing tobacco and selling a brand.
0: And selling right? a brand.
1: So then I would say that the the the, the best margin after that would probably be on uh, distributing cigars. So that's okay. probably the the best the best margin. Or volume. Or maybe retailing, it's it's better. Sure. You know? Of course, if you have uh, the same volume of distribution of retailer, you're gonna make more money. Usually it's keystone. Retailers might get upset with me, but actually it's probably at least fifty percent though they'll make yeah, you know. I mean, they have,
0: they have a they lot of bills to pay though. Yeah. I'm not
1: considering let's put it this way, I'm not considering net profit. Right. I'm considering just you're kind just of talking about revenue.
0: the actual yeah. profit margin this, on this, the transaction.
1: Just yeah, just revenue. And I think then comes uh then comes the last one is definitely uh, manufacturing cigars. That's when the, the the margins are really really small. Sure. So, um, but we started because you asked about the the mentors, right? That I, mm-hmm. that I had, and so Ernie definitely taught me the business side of everything, and uh, and I I've learned a lot from that man just by osmosis, you know, right. just by getting a little bit from his day-to-day life
0: I'm probably asking a lot of questions
1: asking a lot of questions of yeah. course so i'll probably bother him so i bothered him so much but then um pichardo was definitely a mentor you know pichardo knew a lot about growing tobacco he does know a lot about growing tobacco that guy that guy for me is one of the, the most complete farmers you can possibly find sure. in this you know i for me it's him it's Placencia. you know yeah. Pichardo has always been always kind of very humble guy uh, doesn't speak English but it's not like a guy who go out there to promote himself like he's very kind of humble and, uh, but I learned a lot about farming with Pichardo and I, I, I must say that fermentation uh, and understanding especially the science behind uh, the fermentation and blending and making a cigar Arsenio Ramos was the guy that had the privilege to spend uh you know, at least the last of his five years uh, of life. And he was the guy who, uh, I would say, mentored me uh, into everything, you know. That, that man, and I miss him so much, man. The guy was... Pachardo? Like, uh, no, Arsenio Ramos.
0: Arsenio? So,
1: Arsenio Ramos. Arsenio mm-hmm. Ramos, I love to talk about Arsenio because sometimes okay. people say, who is Arsenio Ramos? So yeah, Arsenio Ramos, and and I have no problem saying this, uh, right now, he is the brain behind everything that Arganosa did. So, Arsenio Ramos was responsible for all the fermentation at Arganosa and blends for many years. Yeah, for the the last at least the last seven years of his life, he worked for Eduardo Fernandez at Arganosa, and Arsenio also uh, was the blender for Avanos. Arsenio was behind with Pichardo behind Partagas. He was behind Cohiba. Arsenio was the guy who was responsible for all the entire Cohiba line in uh, in Cuba Wow uh, he was once in charge of Laguitos and it's funny like three days ago I was with uh, Mikey uh, who actually is the president f- uh, of Tabacalero Alianza now he works with Ernesto and he was the VP for uh, for avanos the the most recent VP and he also was responsible for all the uh, out of this Avano's relationship in Europe, he lived in France for many years, sure. and he knew Arsenio, and Arsenio was his mentor as well. So then we're sharing stories about Arsenio, and then we're both crying at Carillo's office,
0: uh-huh.
1: you know, uh, and and just kind of re- just of remembering who right. he was. So he was very much Ernesto, like he give attention to everybody, sure. and he treat everybody with love and respect and attention. We always walk the extra mile with expecting nothing in return. Right. So he would just do for the sake of passing on knowledge. So Arsenio for me was uh, the most important living being in the cigar industry until he passed uh, two years ago. The most knowledgeable, the most complete knowledge of tobacco, in my opinion, was Arsenio Ramos. So Arsenio was this great guy, and and he would, even though he was working with Eduardo, he would give attention to a lot of people, and I know many people. Uh, other cigar makers that he mentored them into into uh into the business wow and today you see a lot of people calling themselves master blenders which is kind of funny i don't think master blender is a title that you give to yourself no you know you can never call yourself a master blender right and 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 even 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 if people call me that i feel extremely uncomfortable to this day really you know yeah i mean so you I, wouldn't
0: classify yourself as a master i blender? don't
1: like that classification to be honest you what know, would
0: you say i'm a
1: cigar maker bro cigar maker i'm a cigar maker i love tobacco cigar lover let's put it this way i'm a tobacco lover okay <laughs> i happen to make cigars i happen to grow tobacco and i try to do my best and i'm telling you real real master blenders they don't call themselves that i never saw ernesto Carrillo calling himself a master never Ernesto never go out and say, I'm a master blender. Never. Uh, or anyone, you know. You
0: think that's just because they're always learning? Even, even
1: Arsenio. Yeah, because true masters don't, don't say they're masters. I mean, they're always learning. Right. They're masters because they're learning.
0: Do you think, though, that there's a either a time period or a knowledge base that gets them to the point where they can actually produce something good? Uh, yes. I think...
1: Uh, like uh, like Skip Martin says that like you know what makes a good cigars is good tobacco. I agree with him. You know I think uh, if you have good quality tobacco, I think anyone that that's a cigar smoker would eventually be able to create maybe more one-dimensional. Maybe you know there'll be a limit of of things he can do, but you know if the tobacco is well fermented. Uh, but of course, you know once you learn. And again, people have different skill sets. I, I don't want to be weird about about this, but I mean, if I wanted to become a Michael Jordan and train a lot and get a, a get, and get a, a a fucking personal trainer mm-hmm. to become a, I will never become a Michael Jordan. No, I don't have the same body structure. I don't have the same brain he has, and I, and it's fine, you know. Right. So uh, people think sometimes that actually making cigars, it's just like you know, you can be a Michael Jordan anytime you want. You can just go there and become a master blender, just because you want to. Just because I want to learn, and if I learn, I'll become a master blender. It's not like that, you know. No. Uh, people are wired differently, you know. No. Uh, I would never become a, a a very very good scientist or mathematician, although I like those things and, and I might be a little bit good at it, but I don't have that kind of you know proficiency to to be a master no. a, in that area. And I think people like that. To respect that, you know, or just to understand, you know, just understand that people are different, you know. Some people right. are meant to be blended. Some people are not meant to be blended because exactly. they're wired differently. Exactly.
0: You know. That's why so, I don't lie about my tasting ability of cigars. What notes yeah. are you tasting? Good yeah. and bad. <laughs> yeah. That's it.
1: And usually that's <laughs> how it should be, you know. It's It's when you go to a lot of people, if you go to a Michelin star restaurant yeah. and you order this amazing dish, usually I like to ask the chef to bring whatever he wants to me, right? And when I taste, I just feel like, man, this is amazing. I'm feeling this amazing sensation in my mouth, and right. but people today, they, they they smoke the amazing cigar, and they start just talking things about it as if they knew how that was made. Like, it's uh, it's, it's like walking to this restaurant and saying, okay, so I'm pretty sure that he had this kind of balsamic from uh, from Modena, and then he used this uh this floor the south the the south of of Italy of the south of Italy, and then they put this come on, dude
0: hey man, you like sound like really? a soul now man that that's exactly <laughs> what they're trained for, right yeah, where did that grape come from
1: but you know like that's things that you just enjoy you know just 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 enjoy the nice meal you're having
0: that's all I can do man
1: and praise God that there are people skilled enough to kind of produce that amazing food and just enjoy, just have right. a good time yeah. you know. With cigars, is the same. I, I do respect a lot of the, the cigar media and people who talk about cigar. And you and I were talking about this before. The more information is provided, the more yeah. the consuming market is informed, the more consumption um, will, will be. So I, I actually believe that we should be providing information in the blogs. Uh, they're extremely uh, important for our industry today. Right. Um but I think the approach, how this is done, uh, it's people have to be a little more careful. Although the majority, the majority are doing a great work. You know. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, cigar culture number three. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you see anything about that cigar? It's put out by um, a broker from the East Coast, mm-hmm. and I'm drawing a blank on his name right now. He's going to kill me. But it was a great cigar, and on the back of it, it named. All the areas that the tobacco came from, mm-hmm. when it was planted, what humidity it was at, what region. I love it. Yeah. Like to me, that was like, okay, now I can actually maybe be like, oh, the they're saying the sweetness comes from this tobacco from this region and that's why they picked it. And I think that's where I go more with anything because like you said, it, you can take the same tobacco and the way you ferment it does something different and where you grow it is something different totally. because the soil matters so like for me to be like oh all habano is great i do gravitate towards habano because it typically has a sweetness mm-hmm. to it yeah but i can't say that every habano that i've smoked i've liked yeah. i that's just not possible
1: it's impossible and listen i see a lot of people talking about nicaraguan tobaccos in a very very wrong way uh, I've seen bloggers talking about uh, Ometepe tobacco as if it's something like new, that you've got to be very careful because there's a lot of sulfur in the soil. And dude, Plasencia has been using uh, Ometepe for years. He actually controls maybe 70% of all Ometapi tobacco. You see, they just don't disclose every detail of the tobacco right. they put in their blends. Uh, if you look at Padron, Padron heavily uses Ometepe. and and other other cigar makers and i see the silly silly thing now going on with certain blogs just kind of saying oh because ometepe oh i i'm feeling some bitterness it might be coming from this ometepe you know what (laughs) you're talking about so ometepe has has sulfur it's true but has a lot of salinity so the the reaction of that leaf with almost anything in nicaragua makes you salivate that's why sometimes a half leaf leaf of ometepe one leaf of ometepe it's magical when, when, when used well, you know? Uh, or, or people talking about Esteli too, it's funny because Esteli, you have the city of Esteli and then you, you have the, what they call the departamento, which would be like a province of Esteli, mm-hmm. which involves other cities as well. Like Condega is part of Esteli actually. So the tobacco that's grown around the surroundings of the city has a, a specific type of elevation Right, okay, and so and we are already at 3,000 feet high, so the mountains are not so tall there, so you can still see the mountains it kind of looks like the mountains are small, sure. but actually if you're in Managua, those mountains are huge, right? because right. you are in a plateau in, in in that area. So the tobacco has a level of rain, the soil composition, and what the rain washes from those mountains into the soil. so it's a it's a very specific taste profile you get out of that that area but then you just go like 10 kilometers which is like five miles north and then you start declining declining almost like 1,000 feet wow and that and that is still Esteli and it's a lot I'm not going to mention it but there's a lot of farms there and that's the city that I like the most really so it's actually a little little north of Esteli so the tobacco is a little more rounded, a little less sharp. But even within Esteli, if you are in the east side or if you're on the west side, the soil composition is a little different too.
0: Yeah.
1: And so when you say, oh, I love Esteli tobacco, okay. There's a lot of variance So there. there's a lot of variance there. So where's the Esteli from? It's from the north. It's actually further down when you get to, about to get into Condega. Or actually it's from the city. It's from the east side of the city or the west side of the city. Or even Condega. Sure. So we have Condega and Pueblo Novo. Very similar soils, very similar soils, but Pueblo, it's in a high elevation. Okay. So the notes you get from both tobaccos are very, very similar, but there's something with the high prime that you get out of Pueblo that you don't get on, on, uh, on Condega, even if it's the same seed. So it's a little more rounded, it's less sharp. So you get, uh, you can actually build blends, stronger blends using more high prime, more Viso and hero out of Pueblo than out of Condega.
0: That's amazing.
1: So, and they are just in kind a of few, uh, few miles apart, sometimes sure. less than two miles, you know.
0: So with that though, I mean, because of all the variables and the extremely lack of information we get as consumers... What's the solution to help the consumer make better educated decisions yeah, on what cigars point. to invest in?
1: It's a good point. I mean, again, when I talk about the regions, there isn't a bad region or a good region. No. This is just like wine; it's the same thing. You know, yeah. if you are, if you are in the in the uh, Burgundy area, you have like that amazing, uh, uh, what they call the most expensive wine in the world, uh, Romane Conti, which is just like a very very small plot of land, and then you have. Just neighbor to that place, a different uh, vineyard, and they make great wines too. But they don't charge fourteen thousand dollars a bottle because that soil is different. The right. inclination, the amount of sunlight, so there's all these variables. But that doesn't make the other wine bad. It's just that we, we, when we blend, we try to use uh, some. We try to kind of fine tune those nuances into the blend. Right. Like I just give an example of the 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 you know high prime. You know the thick tobacco that we can make a cigar with. Some people love to work more with viso and seco, so they can use more uh, more of, of more variety of, of leaves into the cigar. If you are using uh, just viso and here, we're gonna have to opt to use less uh, less tobacco, less, less a variants of tobacco into that blend, right? So there's no no like better or worst. Right. But but being direct and answering your question, I think the, the, the fault is of the manufacturer, that's for sure. It's our fault. We should be providing more information, educating uh, people better. What happened right now is that what some bloggers start talking in their blogs, they repeat over and over again, and they some copycats they'll come and also repeat that over and over again and then suddenly became becomes truth. Right. You know, and, and I can point it out several things that, right. that are completely um completely off sure but just people still talk about it over and over and over again i just hope one day uh people will have a little more uh they'll, they'll search a little more for the truth and i think there's a trend which right. you and i talked about before as well i think um people are craving truth you know people are my, tired of the bullshit
0: yeah one of my biggest things that i hated in retail was when somebody said i don't like darker colored cigars or i don't like connecticut or i don't like you know and they they peg a specific either leaf or region or something with they don't like it now if you truly don't like it that's fine but i would love to seek out you know i'd love to flip the paradigm like you do and say i don't want to say i don't like connecticut what i want to do is i want to try to find a connecticut i like Exactly, you know
1: <laughs> again, you, you just kind of mentioned something that's very, very common today uh, what what's the perception of that people have of maduro right it's, yeah, a, it's a dark heavier, it's darker. a dark wrapper, uh, but there's a very specific taste profile that people who say that are looking for, which was built in lies, is that the maduro is the strongest cigar, and actually that's not true no. So the more mature, maduro means mature, the more mature the cigar, the, the tobacco is, the more aged the tobacco is, the less ammonia you have, the more that cigar will deliver nicotine, but it's always buttery and smooth and rounded. There's no sharpness. Yeah. So a old tobacco usually don't have any sharpness at all. Uh, so the flavors are, are, are very subtle, uh, but they are bold. You know, so what people perceive as Maduro today is a raw tobacco, poorly fermented with a dark wrapper. Right. That's what it is. And I'm not criticizing because there is a market for it. If you like that, if you like a tobacco that was just aged for six months, enjoy it. Right. It's okay. Yeah. You know, I actually have, because of my job, I have to go to hanging barns and sometimes smoke a leaf that's completely raw. Because I need to know how I'm going to ferment that leaf, so I need to try that leaf before. And ah. I, I, I must say that I sometimes I enjoy smoking. You know, you know, one of two leaves that are a little, little raw. Yeah, I can understand. can relate to people who like that. Okay. But just don't perpetuate that 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 lie, you know, or, or, or that perception that Amaduro is actually a well a super aged tobacco. It's not. You know, for the American market, it's not. Right. For Europeans, it's a little different uh when they get a maduro a cuban maduro they know that they're going to get a buttery rounded you know uh, cigar but here for the u.s market especially for certain regions they have this perception you know uh, which is is, it's it's not the right perception but anyways like i told you you know i I respect and who likes that type of cigar but just don't 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 keep repeating that that is a that's a maduro it's not
0: I kind of go unconventional so a couple of things one we're smoking this fiat Lux, and when i get down to like the last third especially at this point if this cigar is still good boy it's going high up on my list which <laughs> this is like Thank it still has the same flavors or maybe not the same but the same complexity of flavors i can taste all of them it's not getting too hot that has to do with how you position the leaves correct mm-hmm
1: yeah so in, in this specific cigar, it's always Trujado. We do the accordion, you yeah. know, on, on the construction. And I, I prefer to use uh, mainly viso to, to build the cigar. I use two leaves of seco. Uh, depends on the smaller bitologist just one. Uh, but everything else is kind of viso. So uh, what happens with this cigar, it's mainly the salivation that you get out of it. So it makes you salivate, it doesn't dry your mouth. Because of that salivation, the more you salivate, the more the pH of your saliva changes. So it becomes uh, your saliva becomes more and more alkaline because yeah. it's just like salt. We talked about salt before, right. right? So that salivation will open your taste buds. We need saliva in order to perceive flavor. So that's why, if that ever happened to you, when you're going to bite an apple, and then you spill saliva, or we're going to eat something that you're craving for, then you see your, 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 Mouth watering. My
0: dog does it every time I feed him.
1: So, our, <laughs> exactly. So, our brains are, are made that way. So, we, in order for us to perceive flavor, we need to salivate. But usually, smoke doesn't make you salivate. No. So, but when you combine certain minerals, uh, especially, I'll give, I just give an example of the ometapi. But yeah. like the Sumatra wrapper have, have a lot of salinity as well. So, when we combine the salinity of the Sumatra wrapper with a binder that has more magnesium, like Jalapa, for example, you get salivation, no matter what. Because this, by even touching your your mouth, immediately you start salivating a little more. And the more you salivate, progressively there'll be transitions in the cigar. Not because the tobacco is different in the cigar. It's because you're salivating more. The more you salivate, the more your taste buds will open and you perceive that flavor differently.
0: That's amazing, because I remember a guy at the smoke shop, he always had basically a spit cup Mm -hmm. and i was like do you chew and smoke cigars and he said no he goes i just salivate really like a lot a lot to the point where he kind of feels like he needs to get some of that out of his mouth Mm. and i just thought that was interesting i was like that's interesting that every time you smoke a cigar you have this extra salivation and it sounds like it's natural it is but there's there's
1: two types of salivation though um, a lot of people who have liver issues or or eat something that's sour and, and they're about to kind of throw up. I know it sounds terrible, you know, recording this. But <laughs> so when when you go through that process, you also salivate a lot. So there's a lot of ammonia in the cigar. Yeah. That will make you a bad saliva that you're going to you want to sp- spit. So you don't want to actually swallow. The saliva I'm talking about is is the one that's almost like unconscious. It's like right. you keep just kind of... You know, as you drink in water, you basically drink your own saliva because you're producing more. And that's kind of what makes you uh, perceive flavors uh, much, much better. And there's yes. so many other factors, bro. Oh, yeah. You know, like it's not just, it's not how much you salivate, but it's also uh, what you ate before. Right. It's what kind of medications you're taking. And that's another point, too. Like, there's no, it's truly no right and wrong about your your preference of a cigar.
0: Right.
1: Because if you have, uh, I think it's 50 or 70% of the population has the H. pylori bacteria in their stomach. If you have that bacteria, the pH of a saliva is different than anybody else. So you will perceive flavors different than anybody else. If, you're, yeah. if you are taking an antibiotic for a, a certain type of infection, that will definitely affect how you perceive. You know, because you know, if you, yeah. if you treat antibiotics with antibiotics, food tastes different. Oh, yeah. Right? When you're sick. Yeah. Uh, same with antifungal uh, uh, medication, too. The same thing happens. Or if you take an antidepressant medication that dries your mouth, so you're going to perceive the flavors different. So everybody reacts differently sure. to uh, to medications, to food, and that will determine how that flavor in the cigar is perceived as well. So it's not a simple science.
0: No, no. And in fact, because of your uh, inspiration there about acidity and other things that you actually end up giving to nate we did a test with uh candy uh halloween candy uh-huh. and i put all the sour stuff in one bucket and all the chocolatey stuff in another we preferred the sour stuff to pair with the cigar there you go because of the acidity
1: because it makes you salivate because it makes
0: you salivate whatever
1: more. sour makes you salivate it was amazing yeah.
0: i would i was totally dreading that but <laughs> then i found myself reaching for like sour gummies and like yeah. All other stuff and then being like, wow, that totally changes the flavor of the cigar.
1: Yeah. Why dark chocolate tastes better than milk chocolate with cigars? Because of the dark chocolate, you have more salt. And the more salt you have in the chocolate, the the better you perceive flavors. You know something crazy too? I think you like this. I've always asked myself, why when we blend a cigar, and this was like uh, my flavor memory from 2000s, right? So I remember going to Dominica and and trying cigars and they'll taste one thing. And I'll bring those cigars over to Chicago and smoke them. They're completely different. Totally. I always thought it was the airplane pressure was the uh, whatever, you know, uh, altitude, atmospheric pressure, whatever it was. I came to realize that actually the reason why is because of the salinity that's in the air. So when you're next to the ocean, you are inhaling a lot of salt all the time. It goes to your lungs and goes to uh, your esophagus, your throat, your entire mouth, your nostrils. So everything is way more salinic now because you are breathing salt. Sense. So anything that you smoke, when you have that amount of salinity in your mouth, will taste brighter, especially if you have more magnesium or sweet notes on, on, on the tobacco, they will flourish, they'll be way more sure. present. So, then if I go to the heart of Texas uh, in the winter, of course, you know, there is less humidity in the air. Uh, The flavor of that cigar will be completely different. Even where you are, even where you were smoking, even what you ate before, you know, will determine. Right how the cigar tastes. Well.
0: So maybe we need to do salt licks like they do for tequila before we smoke. Yeah, just <laughs> it's a good idea. Put a little salt on I A
1: lot of your brand like that.
0: No? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, but, salt, but the listen, salt cigar. But
1: listen, also the opposite is true. So I have, uh, especially when you think of pairing, I have cigars that I don't want to actually cause too much of salivation. I want to cause just a little bit. Uh, especially if I, like I, I had this challenge to pair uh, one of our wines uh, with a the cigar that I'm making that we're launching at the trade show. Uh, and then I could not add a lot of salinity to that cigar or make you salivate too much. Otherwise, the whole pairing would not work. Yeah. So sometimes you have to use other minerals to create that contrast. Because this your brain understands usually three types of pairing. Okay. One is called the uh, complementary pairing. It's when two elements... Uh, when they are together, they enhance each, o- each other. It's compliment. like they complement. So that, that steak wouldn't taste the same if it wasn't for that wine that you're having with the steak. That wine wouldn't taste the same if it wasn't for the steak.
0: Right.
1: Right? So that's called a complementary pairing. And then you have a antagonist pairing, which is when you create a true, real contrast to understand an, an element, so if it wasn't for this element, I would never be able to perceive the second one. Right. So, have you ever closed your eyes to listen to music, and mm-hmm. then you can focus more in each instrument, so you can hear better. That's why blind people they have their senses way more uh, developed. The, the other senses.
0: Echo location. They can exactly sense that. They sound can
1: just emit a sound and know the distance based on how that sound came back to them. And right. so. The same thing happens with our palate. Uh, so, there are ways for you to drink a, uh, a whiskey that, as soon as it touches your lips, will mute all your front palate. So, you know, that tingling you feel in the tip of your tongue and uh-huh. your lips? By doing that, you're enhancing your capacity of perceived flavor in the upper part of your throat and your back throat just by muting your front palate. So, now I want those notes not to be harsh, to be pleasant, and I need to focus and concentrate in those flavors that are perceived in the upper palate and the back of her throat. Interesting. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the third one is called the ultra pairing, which can be translated into synergy. So it's when 2 plus 2 equals 10. So two elements, they form a third element that wouldn't exist if it wasn't for these two elements or three elements together, not only two. So that's what I like to call the ultra pairing. Ultra is the Greek word that goes beyond Yep. Just just pairing. So there are some elements, not just in cigars, in food, that when you merge them, you create a different element. It's chemistry, right? Right. Uh, so salivation, for example. Salivation only occurs if you have at least two components in, in, in your mouth, right? So uh, sodium and chlorine create salt. Yep. And that makes you not just salivate, but makes you... Retain more water into your mouth, as you guys know, because the base of your product is basically salt, right? Salt and water and and glycerin. Uh, No glycerin. No glycerin. Just salt and water. Just salt, water, Um,
0: and xanthan gum. There we go, and gum. Suspend the salt.
1: Yeah, that's right. So I'm sorry.
0: Glycerin doesn't harden.
1: Yeah. Glycerin is not good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not in in our world.
1: (laughs) No, but my point is... uh, so the ultra pairing is very interesting. Like it could be, uh, it could be something like uh, pairing like cheese and wine. Yeah. So uh, cheese and wine is very kind of ultra. Like you, can, you, you don't create any antagonism between them. But when you cover your mouth with the, the protein of, uh, of the cheese, yep. that makes you perceive the flavor of the wine in a very, very special way. You know, and, yeah. and vice versa, because the wine doesn't actually remove that, that coating, right? So,
0: I did a lot of I beer, love this topic. A lot, lot in my earlier life when I drank, I did a lot of beer and cheese pairings because mm-hmm. I used to live in Owatonna, which is just north of there, is Fairbowl, and they had these caves that they used to keep cheese in, and they said that they kept one of the cheeses, which was a, I believe it was a Gouda, mm-hmm. Jeff Select. Uh, and they kept it next to the blue cheese, so the blue cheese spores would jump off and create mm-hmm. this rind on the outside of the gouda that literally tasted like mushrooms <laughs> and it was so good like yeah. I wanted to eat just the rind and most people like cut that off because it's hard, but I was like that's like that's sacrilege right there like that's like the yeah. <laughs> best part of that cheese, but you know obviously exactly. to up up to the person yeah. who's eating it, how they want to eat it but Uh, It's so cool to see those different chemistries create that, you know, from the sport. And I know,
1: I know, you know, this becomes almost like a very kind of nerd conversation. But there are situations and they're very, very common where you just stumble into a very good blend and just don't know why. Sure. Just don't know why. And then you have to go after the explanation and try to (laughs) figure out. So why this worked? But I never thought of this. Sure. You know, which is is very cool too. Like we're just kind of putting some tobaccos together, trying different things. Right. and then you get to a result you never expected.
0: Do you have to keep a notebook of all the different types of tobaccos and flavors you get? Um, or are you pretty memory? Yes
1: and yes, yes I know. Like when when I stumble into something that I know will become a product, then I do write it down, but I have this weird thing that I memorize the flavors, so I know exactly the the kind of proportions and recipe in my in my brain. But I, you know, I, I, I write it down, of course. Like when I, when I stumble into something, I say, "Oh no, listen, this, is, this can be something.
0: Sure. So
1: now I'll go and write it down and, and usually create a name for it. Usually sure. it's, not, it's not the name of the product. I usually create a name to that blend because I associate the name with that experience oh,
0: okay. because
1: of the synesthesia. So I, like I have like um, a good example with the, the, CH, the CHC uh the, the the recent chc we did for crown heads okay so when when uh when i when i created that blend it was like uh we called suhito, which means dirty or little dirty because the feelings I, I i had with that brand was not like a really really clean um sm- uh, smoke which actually uses a little bit of my signature. I like to make things be rounded and and right. and um, and kind of buttery and pleasant, yeah. you know. Uh, but that was different, but it was good different, you know. So I named Suhito, which is like little dirty, <laughs>
0: uh,
1: and I, you know, this uh, the Fiat Lux had a different name before. So
0: what was the Fiat Lux's name?
1: The Fiat Lux was was called Karma. Karma. Ah. It was called Karma. Good Karma good karma yeah Yeah.
0: good love it this is i mean everything you said i hope people can take a little bit of that mm. and apply it to their smoking experience because it really does need you need to open your brain you need to open up your experience and yeah. and just enjoy and if you enjoy it then it's worth investing in
1: absolutely man yeah and it have to be fun too you know, yeah. we, we all have this hard work to make sure people have a good experience right. and they can enjoy that nice Michelin star meal yeah, right. without having to dissect everything. That's just sick.
0: <laughs> I think that's where I get with my tasting. I'm like, I don't need to dissect everything out of this. I just know I enjoy it. Yeah,
1: that's the, you know, that's the point. And
0: you know. that's where I get to the point of like, well, that's a box worthy yeah. cigar. I could have a box of those, give it to anybody, Yeah, and I think they would enjoy it. At least I would. 100% my friend. Yeah. Luciano, thank you so much for sitting down with us, telling a little, s- little bit about your story, giving us some insights on how to enjoy cigars better. And I don't think this will be the last box press we have with Luciano. So appreciate I'm looking
1: forward that. for the next one. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for the invitation.
0: That was another episode of Box Press. Of course, to protect your cigars, always, always put Boveda inside your humidor. You can get it at a local retailer near you or head over to bovadainc.com. Cheers. Have a great day.